This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, June 11, 2023. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. Today we get together again with Nathan Falcone. We meet in a coffee house in the town of High Ridge, Missouri. But first, I'd like to ask you to take a look at DirtRoadRadio.com. Dirt Road Radio is an online streaming radio station dedicated to telling the stories of rural America from rural America itself. It's not on the air yet, as we're still trying to put together some funding, but the website tells you a lot about where we're heading with this new idea. Dirt Road Radio is a community project that connects folks in the heartland through music, arts and culture, news and opinion, and good, honest conversation. I'm personally very excited about this project, and I'm also highly involved in it. For more information, see www.dirtroadradio.com. Today we talk again with Nathan Falcone. Nathan is a fairly regular guest on Democracy on the Move. He's a lifetime resident of Cedar Hill, Missouri. Now, Cedar Hill is an unincorporated community of about 1,700, give or take, along State Route 30, southwest of St. Louis. Nathan is launching his own podcast called Reason Will Prevail, This recording on this podcast is also going to appear on Reason Will Prevail. I recommend you listen to the podcast, as it will no doubt be very interesting and very informative. We met in a coffee house called Toasted, located in High Ridge, Missouri. If you're in the area, you might want to stop by for some delicious coffee, craft sodas, and other snacks. Because we recorded in a coffee house, I apologize in advance for all the background noise. You'll hear people talking, coffee grinders spinning away, and tables and chairs being moved about. We plan to meet at Toasted semi-regularly in the future. We hope to talk with some of the local folks that wander in from the surrounding town and get a flavor of how people in this part of the country feel about the events unfolding in today's society. So without further delay, here's our chat at the coffee house. Hey, how's everybody doing today? I'm here with Dan Schaefer from Democracy on the Move. Uh, We're going to have a good conversation about some politics here. We're at uh, Toasted Coffee House right now. Big thanks to them for letting us actually host us here. Uh, how you doing today, Dan? Pretty good, pretty good. Thanks, right on, Thanks right Nathan. On. Yeah. All right. How are you doing today? Oh, can't complain. <laughs> it's a great day out there right now. Here it's going to be raining tomorrow, so today's the day to get out there. I love it. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So let's get started. Um, yeah, we're live, so I'm kind of nervous because I, I normally record everything beforehand and do I've, all the editing and I make I've all the I've never mistakes. done anything remotely close to this, so this is definitely oh. a little nerve-wracking. All right, well, that's, that makes it's not, two of us. It doesn't though. make you nervous. It's not worth doing, right? <laughs> that's true. That's <laughs> true. If you don't get out of your comfort zone, you don't get anywhere. Amen. So, yeah, we were going to talk today about um, social democracy and... Um, if we had some time, maybe we could talk a little bit about the 37 counts that Trump is facing, but I think that topic's been beaten to death quite a bit right, lately. Right. But, um, but it might be worth uh, talking about anyways if we get some time. Um, so social democracy is something that, I mean, I think it was a topic you wanted to discuss. Yeah. Um, tell us what it is in your words. So uh, that's, the, that's one of my biggest issues is the misconceptions that surround social democracy or democratic socialism or uh mm-hmm. and 
correct me if you uh, see it differently, but uh, like social democracy is just basically a highly regulated form of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's still keeping a capitalistic free market while also implementing, um, you know, social programs, basically implementing a strong safety net. And uh, it's something I'm all for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like we talked a little bit before, you know, in a perfect capitalistic, you know, country or economy, you know, uh, you know where there is actual uh, free market and stuff like that. I, I love that idea, but the issue with that is we've just been living, you know, decades now with a completely unchecked capitalistic uh, system. Right. And you know that's where we end up with, uh, you know, basically every public service uh, is profit incentivized. You know, right. that's that's my issue. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just. Uh, I want to see us getting closer to a meritocracy, and yeah. uh, I just don't really see that with the way things are. And I mean, we're just going further, further into capitalism too. This isn't. But do you think that that capitalism uh, left unrestricted would uh, would ruin a democracy? I mean, right now, I would say we live in a democracy. Some people say. It's not a democracy. It's a constitutional republic. Well, it's both, that's, right? Yeah, constitutional yeah. republic and a, a representative democracy. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's what that's what the republic is. It's a right. representative democracy, and it's constitutional in the sense that we have a constitution that actually uh, limits our uh, limits the government's power. But um, do you think that capitalism, left to its own devices, without any sort of regulation, mm-hmm. would then some sort of would devolve into some sort of a um, you know, oligarchy in a sense. I mean, we don't even have to speculate. I mean, that's pretty much what we're living now. And mm-hmm. that's something I always try to, like, remind people. Like, they want to act like, well, we're living in, like, that's a misconception to everybody's, like, socialism's destroying this country. And like, what, socialism? Like, what are you talking about? There's, like, there's two government programs that are actually, like, you know, socialist technically, and it's, they're the most popular programs that exist, you know, Medicare mm-hmm. or Medicaid and uh, Social Security. Right. So, these are two programs that are wildly popular across the board. Um, so, I mean, we don't have to really speculate. Uh, today, we're living the, the results of a capitalistic you know, economy and country and stuff like that. Right. So, are we living in a utopia right now? Or, or you know, do we have 70% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck? And right. you know, 40,000, 50,000 Americans die every year because they can't receive the simplest health care. You know, that's a direct result of a privatization inside right. the government that, you know, there does not need to be profit incentives. But when you bang your, your, your oh, hand under <laughs> the microphone here. Right, right. Sorry about that. But yeah. no, you're making a good point there. And um, yeah, I kind of wanted to observe, though, that that, you know, the, the constitutional republic that we live under slash democracy that we live under um, wasn't really designed to handle a situation like today uh i would put it to you that way that today these days you know who owns the government these days who runs the government uh who pays for the government is probably a more accurate uh picture and um i don't think that um you know i don't think that uh democracy would would last through something like this because people are um are paying off the government and we're not getting the representation so we're not living in a constitutional republic in a sense but on the other hand you know oligarchy is where we just say okay forget it we we our votes don't count the people running this country are the rich dudes and we have this sort of hybrid in between because we still vote 
but her votes are still, you know, called into question a lot of times. Right. And so, um, I don't know, I'm kind of wandering right here, but um, I'm, I'm sort of hoping you pick it up so that I don't say something stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, I totally get it. I mean, look at the DNC. You know, I mean, they totally robbed Bernie Sanders, you know, in the 2016 election. Yeah. Um, the 2020 election, they basically did the same thing on uh, after Super Tuesday. They, behind the scenes, you know, they yeah. pulled Pete Buttigieg and... Uh, uh, what did they do? It was Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar. They all dropped out at the same time. Yeah. Backed right in. Elizabeth Warren stayed in and siphoned votes. I mean, that was all directly from the DNC or whatever. Right. So, it's a, it, yeah, our votes really don't matter, and that's the issue. But um, Well, I, I think what also happens is, you know, we have um, this system of voting that was set up way back in the beginning, which was first past the poll or first past the post type of voting. In other words, he who gets the most votes wins, but that doesn't mean that you get more than 50% of the votes. Mm-hmm. So if you have, like, in a case of, like, uh, where you have a primary, where you have, like, you know, maybe 16 people that are going into a primary, uh, nobody has to make anything more than, like, maybe 20%. I mean, that's pretty much what Trump did. He never got 50%. Right. But uh, he still wins the primary. So, you know, I, I just, um, I think that that, method of voting is working against us there's things like ranked choice voting which can, say, yeah. Yeah, which can which can address that there's I'm also this thing um, called uh, top four or top five voting where where uh, the top four who win the primary or the top five who win the primary they're the ones that actually go to the general election so you could actually have two republicans on the same tick two republicans running against each other right. for the same for the same office there's lots of good, really good things that that could be done but Every time we try to get ranked choice voting up and running, um, it seems like it gets shot down by the people that are in power. Right. right. And, you know, that just goes back to it all. You know, whenever you make uh, a capital king, you know what I mean? That's what happens. We've got politicians that will get money from anywhere they can, dark or, you know, in the light. Whenever I'm all for public funding, you know, it's basically what I'm for whenever I say social democracy is like we need to publicly fund certain um things inside the government that are should not be profit incentivized you know if it's if it comes down to human lives or you know our our lives in general like we need to make it non-profit or non-privatized right um so yeah that'd be great like uh like a public funding of elections like um i know there's many ways to do it but you know basically uh, subsidizing you know the the voter essentially giving the government gives the voter the the ability the funds to, to know, vote with their dollars yeah, exactly yeah. and yeah. then eliminate dark money entirely and uh you know these political action committees that don't have any interest for anyone in heart uh, you know any americans interest at heart or whatever yeah um yeah it's um well one thing that we have to realize about the dnc as well as the republican is um that they are multi-billion dollar industries and their main purpose is to stay in business. And so when it comes to things like pure democracy, or, or not pure democracy, but democratic principles like ranked choice voting, um, no, they don't want that because yeah. they're not going to be in business. And they want to be able to pick their winners despite no matter who gets voted in. The Bernie Sanders, you say, gets kicked out. I think Debbie Wasserman down in Florida is the one that was uh, instrumental in kicking him out. And... Um, yeah, you know, that just happens, you know, and it's 
Anyways, let's go back to social democracy because I, I, would, I did a little bit of research earlier. Well, I didn't actually do the research. Chat CPT. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I'm pointing to the computer. It actually nice. helped me do some research. But, you know, I was kind of wondering because, you know, I looked at the UK and I kept thinking to myself, when I was a kid, they always told us the UK is socialist. And I don't think it's socialist, right? So, so you know, I, I obviously I've known for years it wasn't socialist. Um, but I think it comes pretty close to a, a social democracy in a sense because... Germany as well. Germany as well, yeah. Because it, the, the um, basic health care is there. Uh, education. College, yeah. yeah. And... Um, but at the same time, you know, people say, well, you got to pay extra tax for it. Well, we pay twice as much than uh, the UK does for health care. Well, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. But I mean, their, their tax rates are pretty high. Actually, I looked it up. Well, again, ChatGPT looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> but they give you an allowance of like twelve thousand five hundred and seventy pounds as your allowance. This is as of a couple of years ago. Which ha- they basically that translates to about fifteen to sixteen thousand dollars, if I'm not mistaken. That's your basic allowance where you don't pay any tax up to that point, and then after that point, it jumps up to I believe it says here twenty um, percent tax rate after that. Then the next tier is forty percent, which starts at around fifty thousand pound, which is probably somewhere around seventy thousand dollars, and then it's forty five percent tax rate. Uh, at 150,000 pound, which is probably somewhere around 190,000 dollars, that is way higher than the U.S. Uh, in, in terms of what we pay. Especially recently, you know, with with the Tax Reform Act of 2017, a lot of these uh, a lot of these tiers got lowered, and maximum tax rates for corporations, I think, ended up being like what. I don't remember what the number was. Something really low, like 15 or 20 percent. Yeah, Trump dropped it back to <coughs> I think. That's what I, yeah, I'm I'm just going by memory at this point. Let me ask Chat GPT. (laughs) Right. Um, But, you know, that, um, so what happens, though, is that at the same time, you know, right now, the government has problems paying its bills because they lower the taxes, so they lower the income, the revenue coming in, and they say, oh, now we can't afford to do universal health care. We can't afford to do education and things like that. That's kind of a, it's kind of a, a vicious circle in a sense. So here's my thing. Um, we start to find out that a lot of these social programs are actually self-sustaining. Um, for example, um, permanent subsidized housing. We find out that whenever you actually get homeless into these programs and we actually implement some sort of like, uh, you know, re-implementing them back into society with like work and stuff like that, there's something like 80 to 90% successful whenever getting homeless back on the, back into society. Yeah. And, you know, then you find out. Um, so not only do you implement these this program, it actually just fixes itself. But you actually find out we actually pay more in taxes by letting people sleep on the streets because there's all kinds of city resources that are actually being taken up whenever you know we got they go to the hospitals, the cops are being called, stuff like that. So you get these people off the streets, and it actually saves the taxpayer money. Yeah. Um, and same thing with healthcare. Like they figured out, I forgot, I think it's like the Harvard Institute or something like that. They came out with a study that showed that in like 10 years, uh, a single payer healthcare system saves us $5 billion. Yeah. Uh, it's something like 10 billion out of five years, something like that. But it saves us money over a long period of time. Yeah. So there's just really no excuse. Um, 
you know, that's the misconception. It's like, oh, it's going to cost us all this money. It's like, no, actually, it saves us money for uh, pretty reasonable reasons. The only issue with that is I have, and I completely understand where people have this issue, is, you know, I don't have much uh, faith in the institutions, so it's really hard to say, well, let's just put more money into the institutions without actually any uh, reformation. Um, So I, I do think, you know, we need to look at these institutions and really just almost start from page one again um but it's just like defund the police right like yeah we can all agree that the police have issues there's some systemic racism stuff like that but defunding isn't the answer obviously you know they need you know we need to refund them actually so it's kind of like that in my opinion um you start looking at a lot of these social programs and they're actually not costly at all they actually save us money so you know and that's where i think you know i was uh to key off your point right there I think Bernie Sanders missed a really uh, good opportunity when, during the last debate, which was in, uh, he was running in 2020, um, I think it was 2020, and he was asked, will taxes increase if we, if we implement universal health care? And he said yes. I would have said no, because take the money that you spend now, you know, now that I, I lost my jobs, now I'm on Cobra, right? So I know how much my company mm-hmm. was paying. Big, it's like just big for my wife and I. Private like, handout, just yeah. exactly what the problem it, is. Well, it's costing us like 1100 bucks a month to keep ourselves sustained. This is two people, and um, not to mention a $7,000 deductible. So that's, that's pretty high. I mean, that's a lot of money out of my pocket. Now, I do things like HSAs and stuff like that to save a little bit of money. But uh, the bottom line is that if we had universal health care, a lot of that expense goes away. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but the uh, the amount of money that uh, that the healthcare provider skims off the, the top. The for-profit insurance companies for-profit are completely insurance company. eliminated. That's usually yeah. why it becomes a self-sustaining system is because there's no more for-profit insurance companies yeah. that are just pocketing the money. Same yeah. thing with the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. Like that's another issue I wanted to bring up. So like the pharmaceutical industry is a privatized industry that makes money off of the, the drugs, right? But here's right. the issue with that. It's already in, way, in ways... A social program because it's publicly funded yes. like the, like 90 percent of the pharmaceuticals of the last like 10 years have been all produced through tax funded uh, money yeah um so through the nih and through college grants right. and such. yeah it's these like universities 200 billion dollars yeah. like these that, universities yeah. get the grants from public funding they do the research they they do everything all the hard work and then the pharmaceutical industry comes in buys the rights up and then they yeah. make all the money they so make, it's like yeah. it's yeah. literally like it's so we're like living the worst side of both worlds on that right yeah yeah um and yeah and then so for example like the vaccine like they uh uh, Bill Gates, he he basically wasn't uh, got the rights to the vaccine, and then he refused to release the rights. And yeah. you know, there's parts of Africa like early on that were like 80 to 90 percent unvaccinated and stuff like that, people just dying in you know ridiculous numbers, and we refused to release the rights because yeah. you know they swooped in and bought the rights. Yeah. So it's so it's just another instance of how like. There's just so many misconceptions on what actual social. Uh, I hate saying socialism because there's like, what are social some, democracy? Right. What yeah. are some actual examples of socialism in this country? There aren't any. Like, the most socialist politician that exists is Bernie Sanders, like today, and he's hardly a democratic socialist. He actually claims to be a democratic socialist, but that doesn't really make sense because he's not. Like, like democratic socialism is still you know, a state that controls the distribution or whatever, but social democracy is still 
revolves around a democracy, or whatever's the way I've always understood it. Okay. So, but for Bernie, like he's, uh, I mean, just barely on the left, in my opinion. You know, what I mean, he's got mm-hmm. foreign policies that I don't agree with at all, and uh, so it just for him to be considered a, a socialist just shows people's ignorance, really, in my opinion. Yeah. Because there's really there's nothing really socialist about this country at all. The the most two popular things, like I said, are Social Security and Medicaid. But that's pretty much it whenever it comes to social programs in this country. Just don't bang on the table. Oh, on you. God, you made a good point. Like boom. Like yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, I would argue there's one there's one other form of socialism in this country which has cost us a lot of money, and that is when the financial crunch hit in 2008 when mm-hmm. the financial market collapsed. Subprime mortgage. Subprime mortgage. Guess what happened? Guess who bailed out the banks? Yeah, that's what I want to really talk about. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it's like that is socialism that has cost us a lot of money. You know something? It, and really. It, I, I say this a lot, you know, it just kind of falls on deaf ears a lot of times, but we bailed out the finance industry and they paid us back by foreclosing on our homes. Right. You know, and as like, and over speculating too, like they were telling well, us, yeah, they were yeah. telling us, oh, go buy, go buy. Yeah. And they yeah. knew they were going to jack the interest rates and send everybody out of their homes. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, they, they put all these poison pills into these, into these, um, into these tranches of, um, uh, what I'm trying to think of, the, they package up these mortgages, and then they sell them, and they, they put a lot of poison pills in there because they knew that you know, a lot of people. I was actually one of them. I bought a house back in uh, 2005 out in California, and um, I got this teaser rate, right? Now, I knew that it was going to go up you know, in a, in a year or a year and a half or whatever, and I really, even I, you know, I try to think of myself as a smart guy, but I'm really not that smart because, you know, when that hit me, it's like, holy crap, you know, my, my, my mortgage went up from like, I was paying like 1900 at that point for a house that I, I, I purchased for about 450 or no, I think it was 550 actually. And um, then it suddenly jumped up like $1,000 up to 2900 And um, I just, I just, I just panicked. I freaked out. Like, how's this happen? You know, I went back and looked at the paperwork. And sure enough, they got me. Right. So, but I was, you know, I had a good job at the time. So it was, it was, yeah, it was a sacrifice. And in the back of my mind, I knew this was going to happen someday. But when it actually did happen, but I can imagine a lot of people don't even think about that, right? Because they, or, or maybe they do think about it. But you know, times change, and suddenly you get another thousand dollars per month taken out of your bank account. Uh, that hurts. And so there's a lot of poison pills that were inside these tranches of mortgage-backed securities that were being sold. And so the guys that do this knew this was going to happen. And that's why they got rid of them. Mm-hmm. They got rid of these mortgage-backed securities uh, before, they, before, they, uh, before they exploded. And so, yeah, I think it was intentional. And, but they always knew the government was going to bail them out. You know, and that's why, you know, as much as I like Obama, I, I think he really screwed the pooch on that one. I yeah. think he really messed that one up. one of the one biggest up. criticisms of him is bailing out Wall Street. Yeah. And uh, to touch base on that, uh, you know anything about Steve Mnuchin back in the 2008 uh, subprime mortgage crisis? No, I, I know who Steve Mnuchin is, but what, tell me about what So happened. he was a uh, charge of one of the big banks that was basically evicting people and committing all the crimes. Um he was illegally evicting people, and it came to Kamala Harris's desk while she was the prosecuting attorney or whatever. In San Francisco. Uh-huh. And uh, her office was demanding that she prosecute. She refused to prosecute him, um, even though he was caught dead to rights, illegally evicting. I'm sure there was other things, too, but he was illegally evicting people. 
after you know they're already being screwed over by the government so it's just wow. like a double on uh, wow. double problem there but anyway so she refused to prosecute now we know he goes on to be the treasury secretary for trump um right. which is despicable the fact that this is the guy who's supposed to drain the swamps and he brings in steve mnuchin. Bring, yeah he brings in more alligators is what he did yeah and uh <coughs> steve mnuchin and this is the other thing i want to really touch base on because this is a emphasis on capitalism and the privatization that exists in capitalism but uh private equity like this is a thing that did not exist you know before and it's just becoming a, becoming our economy essentially and mm-hmm. it's there's nothing like a bigger tick than private equity. I mean, there's literally nothing that they contribute to society. Their their job is to hoard money yeah. and keep hoarding money, and that's it. And uh, come to find out, though, Steve Mnuchin actually has deep ties with BlackRock. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about BlackRock. They're like one of the bigger private equity firms. Yeah. They're buying out just about every market, the real estate market. They're trying to make us a renting nation, essentially. Oh, okay. um, they're trying to buy out Pink Floyd's yeah. music. Like, oh, literally wow. anything that they can oh, buy. I, I got to draw the line there, man. Pink Floyd, come no, on. No, they're literally industry. buying the music industry. They're buying the real estate industry. I mean, they're just buying anything they can that's going to create capital, right? A capital. Wow. Um, so, anyway, we found out, though, that... Uh, the, the last days of Trump being, Trump being in office, um, the number one call coming in, coming into the White House was from Larry Fink at BlackRock to Steve Mnuchin, and they were shuffling millions of dollars right out the gate, right out the last day. So there's just this deep ties. Uh, then Brian Dees, he was actually, uh, I think, an economic advisor for Obama in his early years. Now he's uh, right there with the Obama, uh, the Biden administration. He's a top exec at BlackRock. Oh, um, wow. So there's just all these ties. Uh, Janet Yellen, another one I wanted to address. Uh, mm-hmm. she's, she was on uh, Citadel's payroll before she actually became the Treasury Secretary. And this, I mean, like Citadel, like they were basically caught red-handed with the GameStop fiasco. They oh, were, yeah. They yeah. were funding the, uh, the hedge fund that was against GameStop. Um, and I guess this is more speculative, but they actually think that Citadel stepped in and made Robinhood actually shut down the bidding, and which is totally legal. So right. there's a lot of dealings going on there. But anyway, it's like here we have the Treasury Secretary who's making millions of dollars from Citadel, you know, and like, but I'm sure she's going to be completely non-biased whenever it comes to policy and stuff like that. Of course, yeah. So it's just like, I don't know, I don't see um, private equity being such a, a you know, problem under a, a social democracy. Like it is now, because well, that that does bring to mind a question which I was going to circle back with you on, and now you gave me a, a reason to circle back on it. You talked about um, the need for auditing because, uh, right, if the government is going to administer, say, universal health care or something like that, um, I'm okay with that, given that the auditing is accurate and open. I'm not so sure that this country's prepared for that yet i'm just playing devil's advocate here but i mean look at what happened with the pentagon they're supposed to be by law they're supposed to pass audits for like 50% what percent the, other stuff they can't account for yeah they can't funding. account for it and, and and like is nobody's raising a red flag about this and, and i you know i get it you know there's some secret stuff that we're not supposed to know about but but at least you know there's, there's because okay we put you know 10 billion dollars in this black hole right here and everybody's like okay we won't talk about that because mm-hmm. that's cia stuff but the rest of the stuff should be pretty open, I would think, and it, it isn't. And so the fact that we're doing so poorly of a job there and Congress is just 
like not paying attention or not making an issue out of it. Um, I just, you know, so I wonder, you know, do we have that reputation established to where we can actually audit um, healthcare and other things, as you say, that, um, I don't know, are, are we prepared for that? That's in, definitely in my issue. Question. I've got little to no faith in the institution, so it's really hard to say that we need to, you know, mm -hmm. increase funding for anything. So it's, I get it, especially the military industrial complex. Like, there's nothing more egregious whenever you look at, you know, the profit over people. Yeah. <laughs> They're literally yeah. murdering people for profit, especially yeah. like right now, like we're, you know, funding the Ukraine situation and every, or the invasion of Ukraine, let's be clear. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, you know, I'm all for Ukraine, you know, defending themselves, but at what cost? Like we, uh, another thing I want to touch base on, like uh, they, they came out and they did a uh, little uh, like pity me piece on the Pentagon because those poor people have been price gouged by defense contractors. <laughs> yeah, they were like, the, the Pentagon, Pentagon they were complaining because they were being price gouged by wow. defense contractors. Yeah. Like. They actually group themselves in with taxpayers mm -hmm. because you know we're all the same. We've all been screwed by these defense contractors. <laughs> and no, wow. you go look at these numbers and like, yeah, like um, to the shoot a missile. Like I forgot, I was like I'm, I might be paraphrasing, but like the shoot a missile like ten years ago it cost us like three grand, and now or twenty grand. Now it's like up to three hundred grand. So it's it's wow. a it's a seven fold increase wow. from what it took to drop a uh, shoot a missile, you know, twenty years ago. And it's like that with everything. You find out like that the, the uh, they'll they'll sell like parts to like a tank or something. That's mm -hmm. just like a three hundred percent increase in uh, the actual cost of the part, and it's just. It's literally money money laundering through t you know our tax dollars. How do you fix that though? I mean, it, again, you know, by law they're supposed to pass audits, <clears throat> but they're not. I mean, you know, how do you? I mean, you, you can you can hire an army of accountants, I guess. Well, they're trying to do that with the IRS. <laughs> There's a lot of pushback on that right now. That slightly slightly different story, mm -hmm. but. Um, you know, again, your defense contractors have a lot of money. They they they. They pull a lot of weight. They lobby heavily, and I can't help but thinking that you know we still got alligators in the in the swamp over there that are that are um, preventing these audits from going through. That, that's what kind of scares me. You know, when we talk about you know moving over to more uh, social democratic um, policies for healthcare or whatever. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a tough nut to crack. How do we get there from here? Yeah, I know. I mean, the main thing is just trying to make sure that these people can't make a profit. You know, I mean, that there's not any profit incentives. And I, know, I don't really know how I'd go about that, honestly. But the, Yeah, I mean, in the capitalism, you, you still have capitalism in, mm -hmm. in your system that you're talking about. There's still right. capitalism. So, you know, you still have people are incentivized to do better. And, I mean, you know, we talked about meritocracy before we turned on the microphones here as well. And, um, you know, you still want that to exist. But... We want to strengthen it, right? That's the idea, is actually yeah. create something as close to a meritocracy as we can because we're so far from it right now. Like I said, you know, it bothers me that people want to blame, like, socialism for the problems today. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, one, it doesn't exist, and, like, literally everything that I'm bringing up right now is a direct result of privatization in our government, you know what right. I mean? Like, and uh, it just doesn't – I don't see it happening whenever we just publicly fund things through taxes, you know what I mean? Like, and – I get it. Like, hey, like, I don't, it's so tough because the military-industrial complex has basically 
um, perfected money laundering essentially. So through yeah. tax dollars, but again, that's um, the one of the biggest reasons I'm a proponent for uh, democratic social or social democracy. I always want to say it backwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, Me like, too. Right. So the, uh, I mean, like I said, we've been living. You know, there's like. Uh, studies that show like 50 years ago if we would just have kept the um, the pay scales the same the wealth and income inequalities if they actually just stayed the same for the last 50 years the bottom 90% would be 46 trillion dollars richer and wow. yeah and that just goes to show like how far we've came from what capitalism was then to today yeah and uh, I mean it's not surprising either because I mean like you know all these things show that like how they are robbing us and um so I don't know. I just want. How do you reverse that, right? I yeah. mean, you can't. Even if we stopped it today, that doesn't give us that money back that they've stolen from us fifty for fifty years. Oh no, no, we're not going to get that back. So, right. so how? But what's the best option of, uh, you know, reviving that? And I, that's why, like, I know we've talked about it before, but a universal basic income is like the best uh, social implementation, I think, of really creating a meritocracy. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to take issue with that because, um, you know, this is this is Andy Yang's idea. He pushed the universal. He started to. Yeah. He dropped it. Oh, he did, yeah. yeah. He, this has nothing to do with the Ford party. He hasn't mentioned it once. No, and it's I've. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I, I, I tell you, I met him a few months yeah, back, crazy, and yeah. I, was, I was not impressed with him, honestly, <laughs> on a one-on-one basis. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the problem is, I'm just saying, for example, here. Let's say you give everybody in the U.S. a million dollars. And everybody says, hey, I'm a millionaire. But now, you know, a pound of beef is going to cost you like, you know, $10,000 or something like that. I mean, it's it's just a numbers game. So everything starts to go up. Um, I'm not I'm not really sure because that, that it, we also saw this with inflation recently with um, with COVID. Um, one of the reasons why I mean, there was supply chain issues, which no doubt was probably the biggest contributor but another one was you know they did do these these checks that everybody got and you know my wife and i got these checks you know that did an obnoxious amount of money because we're already we're both employed well i guess yeah she she had just quit her job but anyways technically we didn't need the money Mm -hmm. right so we ended up like giving it away to like um some of the food banks and stuff that's awesome yeah because we don't need it you know and so that should be the result that should be the result but you know most people are going to go out and buy a big screen tv or something like here's my here's my uh rebuttal on that so we don't even have to speculate on these kind of things anymore either like so there's a few ubi studies that have came out just uh in the recent past one of my favorite uh my favorite the most one i know most about is uh one that came out of Stockton, California. It's a mm-hmm. very low-income area. Um, they basically did a controlled study where they gave these people $500 a month and just gauged on what they spent it on and basically how it improved their lives. Um, it basically threw it, it totally dismantled that argument. They you, uh-huh. they turned out that these people spent all their money. Not I mean, it was like 80% of it went to bills, went to food, sure. just everything that's to keep you know sustainable life um and the other thing um we noticed uh, i'll stick with the uh, stockton thing but uh um not only that these people came forward and said hey i had this 500 dollars this month i was actually able to quit my job because i could afford that week off of work and go find better uh, employment opportunities so there's like there's all these ripple effects that come from something like that and then and just like just thinking about it it's like okay like what do we do now 
whenever shit hits the fan, excuse me, whenever stuff hits the fan, we bail at Wall Street. That's what we do. Yeah, that's what yeah. Obama did. That's what Trump did. And it's basically what Biden did with the, uh, the uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah. The Silicon Valley Bank. Stuff like that. It's just pretty much what we do. Like, we show these places they are too big to fail. We'll use the Federal Reserve as your financial backstop, essentially, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, I don't... Um, sorry. Something that comes up. But... <laughs> Quit banging on the microphone. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> so I don't know. Just um, yeah, I forgot what I was getting at with that. No, I, I hear what you're saying, but universal basic income. You know, I think that it has. Um, I think a lot of it depends on who you're giving the money to. Um, you know, if you're if you continue giving money to me, I mean, I'm going to fall into the temptation. I admit it. I'm going to go out and buy a better computer, or I'm going to buy a big screen TV, or something. Along with a lot of other people, which is then going to, you know, drive down the supply, you know, supply yeah, and demand there, works, right. and so it's going to drive up the price. Um, but I, how about something like this, you know, and this happened in Missouri here. It gets, Missouri politics have been getting into pretty deeply lately, and Missouri had a, a surplus of money. And what, what, did, uh, what did Governor Parson do? I call him Governor Deputy Doge. Uh, he gives the money back to people, right? He says, oh, everybody gets a rebate, right? Well, the people who were like, needed the money the most got zero rebate and maybe a few bucks. Uh, the people who didn't need the money who already were well off, they got like nine or $10,000 out of the deal. And I'm Same like- Same thing with the PPP loans, right? Yeah, yeah, so you're exactly. And so I'm like, why didn't the governor do something really useful for the people that need it? Uh, for example, eliminate taxes on food. You know, uh, you go out and buy, you know, your groceries or whatever, you're going to pay like an extra 9 or 10% taxes. That really bites into a lot of people's budget, especially the people are living paycheck to paycheck. Um, you know, there's other things like that that could be done that would really lift up people that need it. And people that don't need it, you know, every you know, rich guy eats food too, right? But that's such a small portion of the money that he or she has. Um, so it's really going to help the people at the bottom, but that's not the mentality of this country. Yeah. And so I think that's what I'm afraid of with universal basic income. How do you give it to the people that really need it that could really help, as opposed to you know everybody else that yeah. doesn't need it? Means testing gets uh, yeah gets a little testing. gray. Like that's, yeah, it's yeah. hard to really accomplish something like that on a grand scale. Yeah. Um, you There's know, going to be people that are going to cheat too. Right. Right. And, yeah, right. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to touch on, though, with the UBI that just really makes sense to me, you know, like I said, shit hits the fan. Uh, we bail out Wall Street and stuff like that. But what would happen if we actually bailed out the people? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, instead of yeah. just, like, all, like, you know how it goes. We, we've been living trickle-down economics for the last 50 years, and that's right. basically what has stemmed to such uh, wealth and income inequality. Right. But whenever you give the power to the people, you're actually fueling the local economy is why right. I, I love this idea is because yeah. like I've actually seen it firsthand whenever everybody was getting those checks mm-hmm. our work shot skyrocketed yeah, up yeah, because course, it yeah. made sense people had yeah. extra money they wanted to work on their house those projects that they've been looking at for so long they yeah. finally had that extra money to do it so imagine just like every market that it fluctuates that's so high for that reason because well, hey, I wasn't going to get my car worked on, but now I got a little extra money. Let's get it done. You Let's know what I mean? Done, so yeah. mechanics are making more money. Not that you need to make more money. but <laughs> No, they uh, need the money too, right? Well, no, yeah, mechanics it, yeah. and car dealers are the, the most highest paid occupations in the country or something really? like that. Yeah. Huh. It's insane. Like if you I, go I chose look at the, the wrong profession. I didn't yeah, know right. that. Yeah, right. No, it's true. But um, so, yeah, I just think the idea of like just 
fueling the local economy because like if i got you know uh, a subsidy like i'm coming here giving them my business every day you know right. what i mean like i'm i support local you know like small mom and pop shops uh-huh. whenever you know trickle down economics it's the exact opposite the biggest corporations are the ones that get the biggest handouts right. and well they'll pass it down you know and that's just it obviously doesn't not down. right yeah. no not at all so it's just like how do we implement tr- uh, trickle up economics and i think a ubi is yeah. easily the best option for that bubble up trickle up whatever yeah right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i get it yeah i i i'm with you there and i i often thought to myself as a thought exercise you know when obama ba- decided to bail out wall street uh back in 2008 what would happen if he bailed out main street you know the people who were who were living in these homes that were being foreclosed on and say look go back to the payments that you had before if you can make those payments you know we'll we'll work it out so that that'll be your payment forever mm-hmm. um you know, it, it, again, it's it's somewhat means testing too, because I could still survive, you know, but a um, lot of people obviously couldn't. And you know, other people would say, well, they were idiots to begin with because they uh, got themselves into this to, to begin with. I hate that mentality. Yeah, like, but I it's like okay, suffer. so it's a crime. To, it, it's a crime to be you know stupid or something like. That. And I'm not calling them stupid or anything either. But it's just you know everybody makes decisions, especially when you're looking at a house in front of you and some guy saying, yeah, you can do it, you can do it, you know. And and the real estate agent is in on it. Um, the banker is in on it. Look at Jerome Powell. Jerome Powell? Yeah, you know he's the uh, chairman or the chair of the uh, Fed, mm-hmm. and he uh, his his solution to curve inflation is to raise unemployment and historically raise interest rates. Oh yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah, that's like that's that's make people suffer so that uh, all of society we can bring down. And that's a huge inflation. democratic failure because yeah, he yeah. went for re-election and they didn't fight it one bit. Not only that, I mean he was a Trump appointee, so it's like. Yeah. Why did Biden even allow that? You know, he should have been removed immediately. And yeah, uh, I, I didn't get that either. I thought it was kind of heartless because they say, well, we need unemployment to go up. And I'm like, no, let's, let's, keep, let's keep as a goal, keep unemployment down where it is right now. So everybody's employed, right? You know, and it's... They're just it's, out of touch. They don't have any idea what it's like to be a normal human citizen you know yeah, like, I don't, don't I know what it's like to lose your job and it's mm-hmm. the second time I, that I've lost my job and, and again for me it's not a big deal you know I, I find another job but but for a lot of people um, you know if you're living paycheck to paycheck which I think unfortunately that's a, a growing number of people in our country these days uh, they like, can't afford like to be unemployed. 70% I think now so. yeah it, it's it hits them immediately you know and it's um, it, yeah, it's it's pretty heartless to say, well, we need unemployment to go up, and that, that's like it's comical. I mean, it really yeah. is. It's like this. This it's almost like saying let's just shoot twenty percent of the people out there, so the other eighty percent can you know can make it. That, that's an extreme example. It's perhaps unfair, but um, that's sort of the way I feel sometimes when I get cynical about these things. You know, another thing I wanted to touch base on the mm-hmm. inflation. You know, we know that there's supply chain issues, which comes back to the privatization because you give privatization in any kind of industry, you're going to actually create a, a, a less uh, competing market. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you got, for example, like the meat market. Uh, what is it like? One company has like 30% of the meat market or something crazy. Uh, like yeah, that. the meat packers. Yeah, stuff. you know, yeah. It's, and that's it's like that in so many industries where it's just like one uh, the baby formula incident. It was like one company that was responsible for a third of the baby formula and then they were you know they weren't um doing good business practice basically uh they 
they didn't reinvest in their factory or something like that and i think a baby died and they just they were neglectful and uh yeah. they they shut the factory down and the next thing you know we have a baby formula shortage right and uh, i'll give biden credit on that that was actually a really good bill that he actually implemented from that but still you know uh, that's what happens whenever you allow privatization in a, a very crucial market and you end up having a monopoly and whenever yeah. that monopoly crashes then here we are same thing with like the with the masks and the vaccine or the masks and the pandemic situation we found out we just don't have masks we have to right. rely on other countries for masks and it's like well what is up with that you know we have yeah. anything that we should we, we can produce here we have to produce at home i mean I that's something that really came yeah. from the pandemic i think but um well you talk about the <clears throat> the meat packers uh just a couple of weeks ago i talked with um tim gibbons who's from the missouri rural crisis center and he had a lot of good statistics, and I would encourage anybody to listen to this podcast to go back a couple of weeks because uh, he talks about the the four major meat packers, uh, two of which are foreign owned. Foreign owned, um, JBS I think is one of them, which is down in Brazil. I can't remember the names of, of all of them he, he gave to me, but uh, here we go. We got uh, eighty. No, I think he said ninety percent of the hog farmers. And I'm just talking about the state of Missouri here. Ninety percent of the hog farmers independent hog farmers are out of business. There's only 10% of the independent hog farmers out there anymore. The rest is corporate owned. And they got their eyes on beef now. They're going after the cattle market. And, and but they, they wired up the system, right? Because they, uh, I know I'm kind of digressing here, but they wired up the system. They got the USDA to allow packaging of US, uh, to, to, to label the package on US beef as US beef when it actually comes from Brazil. Right. All they really do is just either repackage it here, uh, sometimes cattle comes here on the hoof, but most of the time it just comes here in boxes and they, re they, they inspect it, I've got like air quotes going, they inspect it, and then they stamp it as being US beef. And they do that a lot with the products too. Yeah, and it's, it's like, you know, how can, I mean, I'm not a cattle farmer, but I, I really feel for these guys because, you know, this is, these guys are already operating pretty close to the margins and it's not a it's more it's becoming more of a labor of love at this point and so now the corporations are going to take it over and they can already import beef and say it's u.s beef and it's not you know and so you want to buy american well the label doesn't even tell you that you're right. buying american anymore and like you say it happens with other corporations as well so it's Look at uh, Amazon. I mean, they've literally done everything they can to make sure that you can't actually see where the product comes from. Before, oh, yeah, yeah, before you could go see, bam, USA made, China made, whatever. Now it's almost impossible to find anything that actually even, like, it's hard to even find where it actually says the country of origin now. Wow. And uh, I looked into it, too, and it's like, yeah, they intentionally did that. So hopefully they can make more sales from Chinese products. Hmm. And, yeah, I mean, I hate Amazon. I do everything I can to not shop on Amazon for that reason, but... But the other thing I wanted to touch base, I was kind of getting there a little bit. But, sure, uh, you got your yeah. notes right there. Let's go yeah, down those just notes some here. Yeah, jots, nothing, <laughs> nothing extreme. But uh, so the other thing, like, so the supply chain, we know that was a big issue with the pandemic and everything. But we've pretty much found out that corporate greed is at the very minimum, like 60% of inflation today. Um, and then we even have, like, a lot of these uh, top executives on, on audio saying, like, hey, you know, like, we can just blame the, the government spending on inflation. We can sure. just keep raising our prices. Yeah. And uh, do you ever see uh, Katie Porter? She's the, uh, she, I think she's the Senate Judiciary. Uh, she's been on a couple of the uh, meetings for that and mm -hmm. had a couple of these guys on there and just grilled them. 
uh, one of the big pharma guys, she was pointing out how much they've increased their uh, drugs price over the year. Yeah. But they, she also, she's just really good at just breaking everything down. And uh, she showed us um, that, um, you know, there was a pharmaceutical deal. And then there was, uh, I forgot what product she was uh showing but basically just showing that these these people are increasing their products and she's like well did the product gain any kind of you know did it help people more and it's like no no it's like well what exactly did it cause that they didn't have an answer you know oh, wow. so it's just they just keep jacking the prices up and uh, and i i just I, I want people to focus on more of that than like because i if you talk to like economists they'll all say that like government spending actually doesn't lead to inflation I don't know if I necessarily believe it because I mean it does make sense, right? The more money you print, obviously the less the, it, it can lead to inflation, but it depends on the situation, right? But yes, yeah, so I just I, I really wish people would focus more on the corporate greed aspect whenever it comes to that discussion because it is like they said it's more than sixty percent. Oh yeah, tri- yeah. Uh, being attributed to it. So we talk about the pharmaceutical industry. Um, my wife and I are big contributors to JDRF, which is a jun- junior diabetes. Um, research foundation okay and so they invest in a lot of research of not only ways to uh, deal with diabetes but um, with cures for diabetes <laughs> there's a there's a company out in San Diego by the way by the name of Viasite that's working on a what I would call a functional cure for it and it can it, it technically consists of actually uh, uh, curating cells uh, insulin producing cells and then inserting them into your body within a certain pouch and it's a really cool idea it's been around for a number of sounds years sounds like it's got to be illegal here well, <laughs> it, 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 well what I was getting to was you know we contribute a lot of money to JDRF and and you know I'm, I'm starting to wake up to the idea that you know uh, and I don't want to drag Viasite's name through the mud here because I'm not cer- certain what what what, uh, what attitude they have about this but when these um, when these pharmaceutical companies develop these cures, or develop these pro- these uh, therapies for what call it heart disease, cancer, or whatever, and you contribute to it out of the kindness of your heart, and you want to see a cure, then they develop that drug, and then guess what? They sell it back to you, right? And mm-hmm. and for drop dead prices, yeah, exactly. Increase, I mean, right. you could drop dead before you can get. I mean, look at what happened to insulin, and the industry, you know, government, and this is again, this is Biden. Joe his administration Manchin. did this. Did you see that? Oh, sorry, that? I didn't want to interrupt. No, Joe Manchin, his daughter got caught with the... Uh, oh, that was the EpiPen. I apologize. Oh, okay. She was price gouging the EpiPen. Oh, okay. That was Joe Manchin's daughter, so I apologize. I thought oh, it was that's, diabetes. That's, um, yeah, he's not one of my favorite guys either. <laughs> right. but, um, but, you know, they brought the price of insulin down to like $30 per month under, if you're under Medicare. And it just, it just goes to show me, like, there is a lot of softness in that price to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so the insulin producers do certain things like, um, uh, for example, when the, uh, when the patent for a particular, um, uh, particular cure starts to run out, they tweak the formula yeah, a little right. bit and they repatent that. it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they, they keep themselves ahead of the game this way. And it's like, this is not the spirit I have when I contribute money to these organizations in the heart fund or, you know, cancer or diabetes or whatever. Um, I just, you know, I don't know. I just kind of went off on a tangent there because we're no, talking about it. this stuff. But it, it does have a guy like me upset because it's like, where are our politicians when this kind of stuff is going on? Where, where is our representation at that point? And it, they're being paid. You look at, look at OpenSecrets.org and you can see... Who's taking the money from pharmaceuticals? Uh, 
I know I, Joe Manchin, we, uh, so he was involved in the EpiPen scandal with his daughter. Um, then you had uh, Kirsten Cinema. She took a million dollars from oh, Big yeah. Pharma. Yeah. And they literally, those two are pretty much the direct reason that the uh, Build Back Better didn't get through. They both closed oh. it. And the Build Back Better, the initial um, reconciliation package that was was proposed by the Democrats was actually a really good piece of legislation. There's uh, free uh, community college, free trade school, uh, paternity mm-hmm. leave, like just uh, an extension of the child tax credit, I think. Just a bunch of really good provisions that were going to help out a lot of people. And... Uh, I got up there. I don't really think Biden actually wanted it to get passed, but still, like, if the progressives actually fought for it, this would have been one of the best pieces of legislation we'd ever seen in our lifetime. And, uh, but we had Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to thank for fighting that one to the death, wow. basically. And the IRA, I guess, was the, uh, the redaction, or, you know, that was the, what eventually ended up becoming the Triple B or whatever. And the IRA actually did have some good provisions in it, too, but it was just like a, um, you know, baby step. You know, for example, in the Build Back Better, that one of the provisions in there was to negotiate all pharmaceutical drug prices, and they did away with that. Now we could just negotiate some yeah. pharmaceutical yeah. prices from the IRA, and uh, so it's just frustrating because those people are a direct, like, you know, opposition to what democracy is because they don't believe in anything. They just take money. Right. And, you know, that's um, probably the, I think, like, the entirety of the Republican Party is bought out by pharmaceutical industry. But still, yeah. like, the ones that really count are still making the Democratic Party lose. So. so let me ask you this. We talked a lot about social democracy. And um, oh, I just hit the microphone there. I hope it didn't <laughs> do anything. We talked a lot about social democracy. How do we get there from where we are right now? I mean, it's, how do you chart a path? What are the what are the baby steps we can take? I mean, it's it's not like we can wake up tomorrow and like yeah we're in a social democracy, right. uh, healthcare and everything else. But what are the what are the steps that we can take that's these days? That's what's tough. It's like because I'm not for revolution, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like because yeah. nobody knows what comes after that, you know. So it's like yeah, it's the the least form of radical re- revolution that I'm hoping for, I guess. But yeah. Like, because, yeah, I mean, I don't really know where you, because, I mean, the system almost has to have a complete restart at this point. Yeah, I, I don't know, because I, I, I'm with you on this. I, you know, people want to just have this revolution, but there's too many people that want to have a revolution these days. You know, the extreme right, um, they actually tried it on, on January 6th, and, and God knows they're, they're, they would do it again if they had a chance, if that's my opinion. Um, but, yeah, you know, one thing about... One thing I think that we were really gifted about in the U.S. Revolution back in, you know, when we, when we became a, a nation was that we actually had guys that not only knew how to conduct the revolution, but they also, they also knew how to build a nation after that. Mm-hmm. And that's that second step that I think is we missing no, today. We have no leadership. I mean, name yeah. one leader. We don't, we don't, they don't exist. And, and, and the, there's, there's nobody around these days that says, okay, here's the Constitution we would like to have. And that is the so so I would I would stay the hell away from revolution because you know you don't you're right you you don't know what comes next, but on the other hand you know if we're gonna if we're gonna do this from within the system, you know some of the baby steps might be ranked choice voting. Right, uh, I think that's number one. I mean, there's no better way to fuel a third party system. Yeah. I mean, it uh, it doesn't exist without ranked choice voting. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's one. And I know that Missouri, and along with other states too, have tried to get ranked choice voting going. Uh, we tried it through an initiative. Uh, Direct ballot initiatives too. Like yeah. we need to implement those all across the country because whenever that happens, we find out that social democracy always, almost always goes, you know, over the top. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, look yeah. at Montana. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, there's a lot of deeply conservative people in Montana. Sure. They've got uh, socialized medicine. They've got, um, yeah. a, I think it's a single health payer, single payer system. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Montana. Yeah. And it's through a direct ballot initiative. Uh, the only reason I knew that, I, I got friends that go up there all the time. And they're like, they just got free health care. It's like, yeah, that wow. makes sense. Whenever you put a direct ballot initiative to work, these people will overwhelmingly come to a populist conclusion, which generally is the, the democratic or the social democracy uh, stance. I think that's true. And the um, gun uh, gun regulation is another one. People want to call it gun control. I hate that word control. Just it's common it's, sense laws, right? Yeah, common I think that's sense the best gun regulation is another one. But, mm-hmm. but, you know, majority people support that. And, and you're right. It's not being done. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's 24 states in the union right now that support some form of the initiative process. But um, yeah, I think you're right. We need to have more. We need to have more. And Missouri is trying to cut back on it, actually. But, uh, Look at uh, Kansas. They had the uh, the abortion rights yeah. vote, direct ballot initiative. Kansas, deep red Kansas. They came out overwhelmingly to support abortion rights. And uh, I think there was another state that did the same thing. But um, Well, that's, that's I don't mean to interrupt you here, but that's exactly good. what's going to happen in Missouri right now. That's why the Missouri legislature is trying to deep six the initiative process. They're trying to make it far more difficult. I'm going to go into details as to what they're doing, but they're trying to get this passed. Now, ironically, in order to change the uh, initiative process, it actually takes a change to the Constitution, which actually takes a popular vote of the people. So somehow or another, the Missouri legislature has to get this through uh, through the people, through an initiative process. And the reason why they want to do that is for exactly what you're saying, abortion rights overwhelmingly uh, has overwhelming support in Missouri as well Mm -hmm. and uh, it's going to happen unless the legislature can shut down the uh, initiative process which they're trying to do I cannot possibly imagine anything more undemocratic (laughs) you know what I mean like oh me too yeah it's I in, in you know this is where people talk about a pure democracy and we don't live in a pure democracy right we live in a representative democracy slash constitutional republic but the initiative process is, to me, like the closest we're going to get to a pure democracy, in my opinion. Anyway, so um, a baby step would be ranked choice voting. Um, another one might be public funding of elections. Too, public for funding sure. of elections, yeah, that would be good. The um, there is there are two organizations I'm aware of right now. Move to amend is one, and I just became aware of another one called Wolfpack, which I'm going to be interviewing next week. Um, which will actually go on the air probably two weeks from now, but uh, they're both working on a constitutional amendment to basically get rid of money in politics. And by um, through the through the um, through the through the amendment process, they want to reverse the um, what is that Citizens United decision from 2010, I think it was, which basically gave First Amendment rights to corporations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so corporations could basically vote with their money, and so that's going to make that illegal. That'd be all. And I think we touched base on a little bit of those House resolutions. I haven't really looked into them since, though, that we're supposed to, you know, 
directly target uh, money and politics from foreign agents and foreign governments yeah. and stuff like that. Because, yeah. yeah, Missouri is like one of the worst when it comes to dark money, isn't it? Oh, my God, yeah, yeah. I agree. I've seen that uh, in the Missouri legislature, and um, it's just amazing to me that these guys— and you get guys—I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say his name, Nick Schroer. Um, he's one of the senators from out in St. Charles County. Um, absolutely, uh, uh, absolutely abusive online, you know, with, with, with in Twitter especially. I think it's a lot of these people. They got the internet rat, yeah. brain rat, where they just they spend way too much time online. Oh yeah, they do. <laughs> but but the stuff he says is like incredibly offensive to a lot of people, and he gets away with it, right? And he's a senator. It's like why do people keep voting him in there? You know, it's like look at Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene. Jesus oh, yeah. Christ, yeah. like. It's unbelievable that this person represents anybody. Yeah. And and the guy, like, I, I think it was Marcus Flowers that ran against her. That was the the, the 14th um, district in Georgia, I think it is, where she's from. One of those numbers, anyways. Um, he didn't come that close to beating her, and he had a hell of a lot of money, too. Um, it's baffling. Now, Laura, Laura uh, Bobert, right. <laughs> she came close to losing, like, within mm-hmm. 500 votes. Right. So, But, yeah, how do, how do these people get it is is it i don't know i i've given up trying to figure this one out yeah because you don't want to like group an entire county of people into such you know just weirdness because like i i think what it all i guess one of the biggest things i think that uh these people appeal to is the uh, christian fundamentalist yeah like i mean yeah. the, these are right up the line with those people like they yeah. love it and uh there's I a put, lot of them out there still i put the word white in front of it too because you know it it it's uh it bewilders me that you get people like uh, Nikki Haley or um, who's that? Uh, uh, Scott is his last name. Um, Tim Scott. Tim Scott from is it? Is he North Carolina? I'm not sure. Yeah, or South Carolina, one of the two. But uh, you know, you've got people there that are not part of the whiteness, mm-hmm. right? And and they're not male either, right? So Nikki's not white, nor is she male. Um, and they're still running for president, and then the Republican side. And I'm like. Give it up, you know, because that's not what this, that's not the direction the Republican Party right. is heading in these days. Um, I don't know why they continue to do it. And, and I, I can see why they don't want to join Democrats, too. I mean, I get that, too. But on the other hand, it's like, um, I think it's, you're not going to make it. <laughs> I don't get it. It's just me. That's why, you know, people talk about Trump's being the host, most hated man in politics. It's like, yeah, right. Like, Trump's got the entire rebel, or no, maybe not now, but like the 2020 election. He had the entire Republican Party behind him. Bernie Sanders gets sold out by his own party. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. That's the most hated man in politics. Well, yeah, like why? Because he stands to cha- challenge the most to the establishment, right? Yeah. You know, I'm, I've kind of lost it with Bernie now after he just endorsed Biden again. Yeah. But that, that still, you know, I I still do think he has probably one of the most uh, the politicians that has the most uh, interest at, at our, our interest at heart you know yeah but, yeah yeah I've lost hope with him unfortunately I, I like Marianne but I you know really don't I'll tell you who uh, kind of soured me a little bit was Tulsi Gabbard she had me fooled and yeah now I'm, now I'm like second guessing everybody <laughs> like, yeah. well Tulsi had me fooled now maybe she's got me fooled too I don't know that was but. a that was a weird one for me. Kristen Cinema is another one that um, I looked at her history, and she's just kind of all over the map to right. begin with. So 
I don't know. I think she's one that really has no intentions on actually serving as, you know, and and public service or whatever, but she just wanted to get in there and make a bunch of money and get out, essentially. Yeah, maybe. And she's, she succeeded, too. I mean, yeah. But... What else do you have in your list right there? Did we go oh, through everything? Oh, let's see here. Um, you know, one thing, you know, we touched base on the military-industrial complex, and, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff's just an example of how, like, private corporations basically, you know, um, uh, basically take over our government, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, like, with the military-industrial complex, like, you got Lloyd Austin, who is our current Secretary of Defense. He was on Raytheon's payroll before he actually became oh, yeah. Secretary of Defense. So it's like, oh, yeah, there's no conflict of interest there, you know. No, uh, he's not an alligator. No, right. No. <laughs> yeah. And uh, was it Rex Tillerson? He was uh, Trump's initial uh, yeah. Secretary of Defense. He was an ExxonMobil yeah. executive. It's like, yeah, no conflict of interest there. Um, These so guys I, know what they're doing. Yeah, of course they know what they're doing. They know <laughs> yeah, exactly what they're, they're doing. Gonna That's make the some problem. Money, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and you know the price gouging. I had to kind of touch base on that. But uh, so these people. Oh yeah, they just came out that uh, we actually have generals that are. Uh, I think it's Saudi Arabia that are recruiting our generals that retired to like weed like intelligence oh, really? in Saudi Arabia oh wow that's yeah, not this, good. Is, this is insane like some of the stuff that's, that's stemming one of my least like countries in the world honestly for oh me. 100% yeah. yeah and uh, that's one of the things I wanted to touch base on too was with uh, you know we kind of uh, didn't really touch much on the Trump thing but uh, with the all that coming out they figured out that he's uh, we knew that uh, Jared made two billion off of Saudis and uh, we don't really know exactly why or how that happened. Yeah. The uh, Saudi, uh, the financial aspect of the Saudi government was like, no, we're not giving you $2 billion. This makes no sense. And MBS actually overrode and gave him the $2 billion. And we yeah. really don't know why. Um, and then with the, uh, they had the, uh, the Live Golf Tour. They were hosting yeah. that at Trump's uh, golf courses. Yep. They were coming in town while he was president, actually staying at the Trump hotel. hotel. Yeah. yeah. So just a bunch of clear as day, you know, um, emoluments, violations, uh, yeah. Even, violations, uh, yeah. yeah, violations. So, I don't know, just like aspects of that. Um, and then, uh, was it Ivanka made a hundred million dollars? I didn't even know that they found that from Saudi Arabia, oh, wow. but yeah, I don't know. Like what I was basically getting at is, um, you know, these people are basically just making money off of the privatization of the, that side of the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, trying to go through some stuff here but um then um subsidization that's another thing i wanted to touch base on because uh, you know everybody wants a free market that's why capitalism is so appealing um, right but a free market cannot exist with subsidizations exist like you know you've got people like elon musk i got here he's uh i think five billion dollars just in the last uh like five years or something like that was mm-hmm. this uh subsidies for his Starlink and you right. know um, Tesla stuff like that, so it's like, so, sorry about that. So how can you know any you know smaller you know market or any smaller corporation actually compete with somebody who's getting billions of dollars in subsidies? You know what I mean? And then, yeah, yeah. So that's just my biggest problem. Um, and then the same thing. Uh, uh, God damn it! I'm getting lost. Um, We've been here a while. We've been doing this for a while. But, um, so, like, yeah, BlackRock, they're another person. So these people, 
are literally trying to buy out every market, including the real estate market, and yep. they are directly subsidized by the federal government. So this like, is your third form of socialism, isn't mm -hmm. it? All right. Yeah. And so it's like, how can anybody possibly compete with this? Right. And then you actually find out, even with the real estate market, that BlackRock actually has the ability to purchase homes before they even hit the actual... Uh, hit the market. That actually hit the market. So wow. they actually have a one step up. Wow. So yeah, I just... Uh, so subsidies is like probably... Without subsidies, like capitalism actually sounds like something that actually could exist. But with, whenever we have, you know federal government just basically like i said creating a financial backstop for all these major corporations to show them that they, they're too big to fail there's just no way we can actually have a free market in that yeah. sense yeah i often thought when it, when i say it's too big to fail then i'd say then they're too big to exist you know that would be my counter argument right because we don't ever want to put ourselves into a position where the failure of one company can bring the whole country down right you know and it's um you know, it's, it's amazing. I used to work in aerospace many years ago for, for the military, or, well, military contractor. And they had this thing about having single source. You cannot have a single source on anything. So anything that we did, any component that we put into our designs or whatever, had to be multiple source and had to come from the U.S., had to be manufactured in the U.S. Uh, that's all out the window now, right? And, and so, yeah, so now you talk about companies that are too big to fail. Um, same sort of process, same sort of thought process there. Is, we've gotten ourselves into this situation, and it's happened little by little. You know, it's, just, it's not something like you woke up one day and suddenly, you know, all these rules were gone. Mm -hmm. They went away little by little, and nobody was paying attention until now. You know, and then suddenly it's almost too late to change it. Right. That's, yeah. uh, another thing that comes with capitalism, too, um, is uh, deregulation. I never really, like... Having just common sense regulations is not big government. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. that's one thing I have an issue with. Like, like Wall Street has become completely deregulated, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, so I just, you know, regulations are very important. Um, mainly, like, um, you know, that's one of the main things. Like, becoming politically involved, I realize like that's like ninety percent of conservative politics is deregulation, right? Yeah. And uh, and coming from my construction, like there's never more evident like regulations are absolutely necessary for yeah. a lot of things in life so and even like food and stuff like that like we like we can't just let the market dictate itself we have to uh yeah. allow for agencies to come in and make sure that things are safe you know what yeah. i mean so that's one of the other flaws with capitalism that i see and you know with the, uh, the one that hasn't been unchecked for so many years we probably wouldn't be living in such a failed state but yeah. here we are what do you think about the, the, the rule that uh, Republicans have come up with? And I don't want to say Republicans. I, I really, let me just step back, because I think it's all politicians, and I'm not trying to implicate one. But this regulation, that, or this, this rule that says for every regulation that you pass, you have to get rid of you know, two more or something like that. What is the logic in that? I didn't know that. It was, yeah. yeah, that was one of the things that, that uh, I don't know if it was, it was Trump that, that made that announcement or whatever, and I'm like, it's as if these regulations are arbitrary, right? They aren't arbitrary. A lot of thought went into this stuff. Yeah, some of them are old. Some of them, you know, they need to be revised. They need mm -hmm. to be reviewed. Okay, I'm, I'm for, all for that. But just this blanket statement that says, no, we're not going to do regulation unless we get rid of two more. <laughs> well, by process of induction, which is a mathematical term, basically, 
if you go long enough, they'll have no regulations at all. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what they want, though, because yeah. that's the problem, right? Like, corporations stand to lose a lot of money with your regulations. Yeah. They can cut corners and stuff like that whenever there are regulations to make the money. And that's what it boils down to, is whenever capitalism is just ran unchecked, it just becomes profit over people. There's never anything yeah. else than that, so... Well, I think we solved some of the ills today, and I think you know some of the baby steps we could take forward would be to support things like ranked choice voting, uh, support things like getting um, uh, public funding for mm-hmm. for um, for campaigns, basically getting the money out of politics. Um, you know, I, I think going for an actual uh, amendment to the Constitution—that's a big ask at this point. That's mm-hmm. a lot of problem. Uh, I think it was Wolfpack, and I'll be interviewing them next week, so I'll learn a little bit more about what their what their thing is. But um, I think what they're trying to do is work it at the state level to try to um, get the individual states on board with uh, implementing their own rules about uh, about um, about you know basically First Amendment rights for for corporations. And I think they're trying to work it from the bottom up. I know move to amend is kind of working it from the top down. They're actually going after a lot of the um, representatives and senators, U.S. representatives and senators, getting a lot of them to support this idea of this uh, constitutional amendment. But I don't know. I mean, look at the Equal Rights Amendment. That's, that's taking a really long time. And technically, I understand they have all the signatures for it now. They just got to give it the final push within, within the Senate. Is that the happening. codification of gay marriage? Is that what that is? Uh, no, it's actually it's actually older than than uh, than a lot of people realize. I think the ERA was uh, first proposed back in the 1970s, mm. uh, but it's basically I, I don't I I couldn't you know, well I could ask ChatGPT what it's all about, but <laughs> but basically it's a fairly short amendment that just basically says uh, yeah they're e- equal rights. It codifies mm. equal rights. I'm not sure exactly how it does it. Um, the uh, what was the twenty eighth amendment? The last amendment we had, which passed in the nineteen nineties, was um, two hundred years old, two hundred and two years old or something. <laughs> it was originally proposed way back in the seventeen hundreds, really, and know. finally got passed. Yeah, it was it was basically a, an amendment that said Congress cannot raise their salary uh, within the same session or something like that. <laughs> so if you vote for a raise in the salary, you can't you can't uh, realize that raise. Um, immediately or something like that so I'll have to read up on the I think it's the 28th amendment 200 years in the making (laughs) 200 plus years so uh, hopefully the ERA will not be that long but uh, it just goes to show that passing a constitutional amendment is a big lift but it's all a matter of um, public will though if we get if everybody supports it and puts pressure on their politicians we can do it but, uh, it'll That's take the problem, while. right? Just everybody's everything seems so damn hopeless these days. <laughs> you know, that's exactly where a lot of politicians want you to feel. They right. want you to feel hopeless. Yeah, that's 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 part of their game. Mm-hmm. Like you know, that, I think it's part of the, part of the theory behind this. Um, you know, your vote doesn't count. We're, we're, um, there was a lot of cheating going on in voting and stuff. It's all about getting people to lose confidence in voting. And that's that's the cornerstone of our that, that's that's the that's where the rubber meets the road in our democracy. The point of the Republicans are because they know the more people that turn out to vote, the less likely they're going to do good. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
Um, what do you think about we should pr wrap this up? We've gone more than an hour, at least uh, according nice. to my timer nice. over here. <laughs> right on, cool. Yeah, um, Unless yeah, there's one more issue you have? No, um, I think I'm pretty much set. Um, I didn't I, bring a list. You brought the list, not me. What? You you brought yeah, the list, not it's me. It's just I, some jotted down notes, nothing big. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Right on. Well, cool. I guess that's it then. Uh, guys, thanks for watching. Have a good one. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you tune in again next week.